0: Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing, and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Hello, Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and welcome to another segment here at the clinic. Welcome back. Um, As always, we're talking about our mental health, our spiritual health, and our physical health because they happen all at the same time. And before we get started with today's topic, let's go ahead and say a couple prayers. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, listeners and viewers, today we're going to talk about a pretty sensitive topic, something that I want to make sure that you know that the topic is uh, beforehand, in case there's any kids around or anybody around that you might... uh, want to listen to this with adults only. Today's topic is on abuse. And really, we're gonna talk about different types of abuse. We have, um, you know, physical abuse, we have emotional abuse, we also have sexual abuse, and there's even spiritual abuse out there. So it's important to discuss what it is that we're talking about when we talk about abuse, what does it mean, and how can we overcome this? How can we heal if we've been victims of abuse or if we feel that we've been abused? and also hope for the abuser what if somebody is the person who abuses sometimes they don't even know it they don't even know what's going on but there's something very wrong there there's an illness there there's a sickness there that needs to be healed as well the topic came up because i was seeing a patient one time um, who mentioned to me that she didn't feel good she didn't feel like she was being a good mom she didn't feel like she was a good person Um, and she was really in a lot of turmoil she really didn't feel like there was any hope left for her, and she was feeling very, very depressed. When she came into the clinic, what she told me was that she wasn't feeling like she was being a good mom, and she was feeling depressed, and how could I help her out? Well, of course, I needed to get a little bit more information. So I asked her, well, where's all this coming from? Why is it that you're feeling this way? Why, what's happening for you? Well, to give you a little background, she was in her mid-30s, and she was starting to tell me that she had a 3-year-old son, and she really loved her son. She thought he was great. You know, he was developing normally. There was nothing wrong with him. He was vivacious. He got along with his family members. Um, whenever they got together at parties, boy, he, you know, he really got attention. Um, he had all his uncles and, and his grandma was, were there. And they all paid attention to him. And he, he had a life full of people who loved him. But she said that she didn't know how to love him. She didn't know that she had the capacity to love him the way he needed to be loved. And what she described was that whenever he was around, she didn't really want to hug him. She didn't like it when he came up to her leg if she was standing and he wanted to hug her. She would kind of push him away. And then whenever she sat down, she said that he would always want to come up and sit on her lap and and just cuddle like any three-year-old would. And she didn't like that. She She was afraid to do that. She didn't want him on her lap. She always pushed him away and moved him to the side and really didn't know how to show affection to him. She always made sure that she got affection. he got affection from everyone else, but she really didn't want to do any of that, and she was worried, and she asked me, well, is he gonna be okay, though? Because I know that they say that a mom's affection, a dad's affection is very, very important for the children, and I just feel like I keep pushing him away, and he really doesn't understand it. I think he's getting to the point now, he's three years old, he kind of has some self-reflection that I'm pushing him away, Uh, But he doesn't understand why, because I'm just mom, and and, and he's wondering what's going on. And so I asked her, well, why do you do this? What what happens for you when your son comes near you, when he wants to hug your leg, or he wants to cuddle with you on your lap like any three-year-old would? And she said, well, it reminds me of when I was young, and my uncle used to abuse me. And she said that from the time she was probably about two years old, Maybe to the time that she was about six or seven years old, when the uncle moved away, she said that what he would do is that he would have some candy or a toy, or just kind of have her come and sit on his lap, and that he would inappropriately start touching her, and that she could tell that he was getting some kind of satisfaction from that. She says she didn't really understand back then what was going on. She didn't know. She was a young girl, and you know, she was a little kid, and. She would just go and be with her uncle. It was who she was supposed to be with. Her mom would tell her to go and be with her uncle and whatnot. Um, And it wasn't until she was older and she was able to tell her mom about this, and she told her brothers about this, and boy, she said the family was really upset. She felt that she had a lot of support from her family, and she was really grateful about that. Um, You know, The uncle's nowhere near in their lives anymore, and he's completely distant in a way. But she's still suffering these memories. She still has these wounds that she carries with her about what happened. And now it translates into, she's not able to show affection to her son. And she's telling me that she doesn't really know how she, she wants to, but every time she sees her son or she gets that sense that he's going to come up for affection, it just takes her back in her mind. It takes her back to that time when she was abused, when she was violated, and she doesn't want to do the same thing to her son. And she asked me, well, what can I do about this? How, how can I make this happen? And more importantly, why is it that I still think about this? Why is this still running through my mind? And so, I, you know, when we think back about this and we, and we think about a story like this, um, we think about all the people who have experienced something that really is terrible. It, it, it's terrible to feel that you are the victim of abuse, that you've been victimized. You know, in this particular case, it was a, it did happen to be a sexual abuse um, of a minor, which was awful. Um, and it, it's true that it happened, well, you say of a minor, but really it's terrible if it happens to anybody. Uh, we should never feel that we are uh, powerless or that we are hopeless or that somebody is really taking advantage of us for their own gain because that's what's happening when we're in a situation of abuse. Somebody is trying to somehow at either satisfaction or gain something um, or feel powerful or, or make up for their own deficiencies by putting somebody else down or by violating somebody else's natural God-given rights. And that that's what can be very challenging because there's a whole lot that goes into it. And what comes out of this is a lot of pain, a lot of pain on different levels. You know, um, whenever I deal with patients who have experienced any kind of abuse, uh, be it physical or mental or spiritual um, or emotional um, it 's really hard to make sense of any of it you know They, they, they look at the situation and they say i don 't understand there's something there that went wrong um, i don 't understand why this happened to me. you know why did they pick me? What was going on that i happen to be the the victim i don't get it i I don't understand it um and that's one of the biggest challenges that we're going to talk about in this program is when things like this happen how can we come to an understanding of what happened do we even have to get to the point where we come to an understanding of what happened in order to heal and more importantly than anything else how do we start to heal when something like this happened? because sometimes there's a lot of questions depending on the situation there's a whole lot of different experiences where sometimes we might not have all the answers. And so if I say, you know, gosh, we might not be able to come to an understanding of what happened. It's not because we're cruel or we don't want to understand it or because, um, the person's not going to be smart enough to understand it. All those things are in place. I think one of the hardest parts though, is that depending on the situation and depending on what happened, we might not have explanations. We might not have all the answers, but we still have to figure out a way of how do we move forward? How is it that we can overcome this and realize that the lies that I was told, the lie that I experienced, because ultimately that's what the abuse is, it makes us feel uh, different from who we really are, it strips us from our dignity uh, in the moment or for the rest of our lives sometimes for some people, and really it's a lie, and the reason I say it's a lie is because that's not the way we were made, but how do we get back to understanding who we are? it's not easy, but let's take a look at this because this lady had a lot of questions for me, and I wasn't able to answer them all and I'm not sure that we're able going to be able to uh cover all the the questions and all the answers in this one show it 's such a broad topic, but hopefully we can start to talk about um some of the more important ones and what and what we can do for ourselves if we have been victimized or we feel that we've uh, experienced this or if we know a loved one or a friend who's been uh, victimized and has gone through certain traumas. So one of the first questions that we ask, have to ask ourselves is, why does abuse exist? And I don't mean the action of it, but more the concept. Why does this concept even exist? Why is it possible for there to be such a thing as abuse? Why why abuse? Sometimes in order to understand this, we have to look at the opposite, or sometimes what's, what's not there. When an abuse is happening, what is it that's not there? And just a few thoughts here. One, one thing that we have to look at is that there has to be a right order. So in order for an abuse to happen, it means that something went wrong. So we can honestly say it'd be hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't know that abuse is objectively evil. It's just bad. There's, no, there's absolutely nothing good about it. There's nothing that we can say, well, you know, there was an abuse, but let's look at the, on the bright side, let's look at the positive side of, of what happened. There's there's no such thing as, as the bright side or the positive side of abuse, um, so we can actually say this is an objective evil. It, it's all bad. If there's an objective evil present, if abuse is an, an objective evil, it's present. Then there was an objective good that was absent or violated, and that's why abuse exists. Because the reality is, we are we have a goodness about us. There is something that wants us to get to Christ to God. This is objective, this is true for all of us. And when that is violated, then all of a sudden we see abuse come up. We see that something wrong happened with what was supposed to be right and holy inside of us. We're gonna talk more about this when we come back after the break.
1: This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support.
0: All right. Well, welcome back to the clinic uh, here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, where we always uh, appreciate you joining us and where we can learn about our health, be it physical, uh, mental, spiritual, and emotional health. Today, we're talking about the topic of abuse. not an easy topic to discuss um, because it can be very challenging to want to understand, but to even express or to have gone through, how do we discuss this? How do we talk about this to people and what do we do? I was sharing the story of a patient I had who she really was distraught and and found it very hard to be affectionate to her son because she herself had been abused and she was afraid that if she showed any affection to her son, he would interpret it that way or she might cause him some trauma the way trauma was caused to her. Um, And this was a very hard way for her to live because she was feeling like she was a really, really bad mom. And one of the challenging things with that is the lies that all of a sudden we start to believe or that we're told when we are in a situation where we've been abused. Um, And and that can be very hard. It can be very hard to overcome. It can be hard to, to not believe that anymore and to really trust that that's not the case. And one of the things I was talking about is why is it that what's missing when abuse is happening? Well, we need to look at the natural order of things and the natural order of things is that god made us to love each other and part of loving each other is really nurturing each other nurturing each other means that we're going to be there for each other and help each other grow notice that i keep saying each other when abuse happens the complete opposite is happening instead of me growing or excuse me helping the other person grow um by nurturing them I am actually, it's actually a double abuse. I'm thinking that I'm going to take, if I'm the abuser, I'm going to take my own uh, uh, desires. I'm going to try to satisfy my own needs. I'm going to justify the ends of whatever I want by the means that I use, even if that means abusing somebody else. So instead of nurturing somebody else, it's really the abuser focusing on themselves and using other people for their own gain. And this is what's disgusting. This is what this is what's very hard because that's not how we were built. In the natural order of things, the way God made us was to love each other and to nurture each other. If I'm going to nurture something, I'm going to nurture a plant or something in nature, an animal. If I have a pet, I'm making sure that they're fed, that they have shelter. If I have a plant, I make sure that I water it and that I put it out in the sun. And you notice that I'm really focusing on their needs. It has nothing to do with me. Now, granted, I could say, well, if I nurture a tree, I'm going to get some fruit. But yes, that means that I'm going to give the tree exactly what the tree needs in order to produce the best fruit possible. I'm not going to try to beat the tree down. I'm not going to try to beat my animal down because if I want some companionship, if I have a wonderful dog to take care of, I'm going to want to make sure it's fed and that I'm taking it to the vet if it's sick or that it has good shelter. Why? because I'm trying to nurture. When we nurture something, we we give of ourselves, we, we look outside of ourselves, and we make things better for the world around us. The abuse, when abuse is happening, it's quite the opposite. The abuse does something totally different. The abuser is actually focused on themselves only, and it doesn't matter what's going on around them. It doesn't matter if other people are gonna go down in the process. They're gonna get a certain satisfaction for themselves regardless of what it is that it takes and if that means that you're going to break somebody else down or take advantage of somebody else or steal from somebody else whatever it takes they're going to do in order to satisfy their own needs whatever those needs are sometimes they're physical needs sometimes they're emotional needs sometimes they're spiritual needs whatever the needs are that this person has and i don't mean positive spiritual needs either whatever needs they have they're going to try to satisfy those by stealing the innocence, by stealing the sense of self, by stealing the sense of importance and self-worth of others. And that's what's really challenging when it comes to abuse, because it's, it's very, very selfish. Um, and notice that I listed different types. Let's talk about the different types of abuse. In this particular situation, we can easily say, well, gosh, you know, if the uncle had this person sit on his lap and he gratified himself in a sexual way, well, then we just call it sexual abuse. That's all there is to it. We have to look at the fact that we're, again, as we always say on our show here in the clinic, we're going to look at ourselves as physical, emotional, and spiritual people. It's a 100% violation of all three in this situation. Why? Because while he was abusing her, it's a physical abuse, obviously, because it's an abuse of the body, um, and it's a, and all of a sudden we can further classify it as a sexual abuse if we're looking for sexual gratification, um, but... The abuser also abused the person's mind. It really changed the way that this woman saw herself. She no longer saw herself as worthy or having the capacity of loving her own son, because she was afraid she was going to do it in the wrong way. She didn't feel that she had the natural instinct of a mother to love her son anymore. She felt broken. She felt that that was stolen from her, taken away from her. So, There's that emotional component that we can't deny that is always attached to how we view our bodies and how we express ourselves with our bodies because that's the way God made us. Spiritually, she also told me that, not at this point anymore, not by the time I saw her in clinic, but as she was growing up, she felt really guilty. She felt like she had sinned. As she was growing up and going through puberty and learning about the different commandments and how they apply to our lives, she felt that she had done something wrong. She started going through and questioning herself, asking herself, did she provoke that abuse? Did she um, make her uncle do the things that he did? Was she in the wrong? And this is what happens with abuse. It changes um, the way we we, we view ourselves, the way we perceive the world, and we start seeing the world through lies, through lies that come about because of what happened. So we can look at the different kinds of abuses. And in this case in particular, um, it's it's an interesting case because I'll, whenever there's a sexual abuse uh, case that we can talk about, it really violates all three. There's no question about it. And more than anything else, it also it violates the, the spiritual component because as Catholics, we already know when we study and we pray about how God made our bodies and how God wants us to use our bodies. So spiritually, that's already the biggest abuse, whether it be in this case um, or Or any other kind of sexual abuse, um, any time that this is forced, any time that somebody does this and violates it and uses the gifts of sexuality that God has given us outside of marriage there 's an abuse happening, whether we realize it or not. Then we can look at let's say somebody says well you know doc i've been through a, I was in an abusive relationship, but it was strictly a physical abusive relationship um, you know there wasn't any kind of a sexual abuse but Physically, you know, I was always worried because my loved one—and this has happened to men and women—you know, my loved one. Whenever they got upset, whenever they got frustrated, um, sometimes they would start drinking or they would use drugs, and they weren't thinking clearly. And when they had a frustrating time during the day or they weren't feeling good, all this would come out. They would be on—they would be drinking or they would be using drugs, and all these emotions came out, and they were really frustrated. And they would take it out on me they would you know they would start hitting me or throwing things across the room and i would have to duck or go to a different room or you know go somewhere where i felt safe and notice it's i had to go somewhere where i felt safe now we're looking for safety we're no longer feeling safe in our own environment physically sometimes in some of the relationships they said well gosh i was afraid i was going to die i was afraid that my my significant other was gonna was actually going to kill me because they were in such a rage. And what would happen? Well, the next day, um, you know, they would sober up and they would look around and they would say that, gosh, they were so sorry. They did not know. They, they didn't know what was happening. They weren't thinking clearly. It was never going to happen again because, gosh, it was because they were under the influence of alcohol or drugs, and it was really the alcohols and, and drugs that made them do this. It wasn't them. Um, they would never do it again, and they swore that they'd get sober or that they would get help. And, you know, boy, we're going to give them that extra chance, right? Because we're human beings. We forgive each other, and we we understand what it means to have a bad day. And so we say, okay, well, you know, gosh, it was a one-time thing. He didn't mean it or she didn't mean it. And the next time that it happens, it seems to happen in the, in the exact same way, right? Because all of a sudden we have what we call the cycle of abuse. If we look at the story of my patient, she didn't say that it was a one-time th- time that it, uh, her uncle did that to her. It was multiple times. It was whenever there was the opportunity, whenever there was a chance to do that. I've had other patients who they are in d- the domestic violence type relationships, and they've gotten to the point where they have to call the authorities. And there has to be some kind of a, uh intervention there in order for that to uh, to assuage the situation, to to create that safety, and those can be very very scary situations. And what happens after the the physical abuse? Well, sometimes yes. Uh, so let's say the authorities come in, and I have one patient I can recall off the top of my head here, who they had a restraint order, and the the significant other wasn't supposed to be around them anymore. Um, And this was a male actually and and the the woman was abusive and and so she had a restraint order against her and she wasn't supposed to be around him anymore at all. And then all of a sudden um, he would start to feel sorry for her. He would start to miss her and he would allow her back in the relationship even violating the restraint order. This is what happens to us as human beings because we're made to be nurtured. We want to have affection. And even in an abusive relationship, it can be very, very cloudy and very challenging because the truth gets mixed in with the lies. Of course, you're gonna miss the times that people were nice to you or the times that people um, seemed to, that, that you enjoyed with them. There's there's gonna be good times because as human beings, we know how to experience good times. We know how to uh, laugh and how to, to enjoy each other's company, but that gets mixed in with the abuse in some relationships and that can be very, very hard because then after a while, Um, that's the emotional component that comes with it. So there was some physical abuse, but emotionally there can be some abuse too, because the abuser is all of a sudden very nice and the abuser um, says, I'm so sorry, and it'll never happen again and appeals to that part of us that really wants to forgive, that wants to love and wants to be loved. And so unfortunately we all of a sudden get stuck because now we're not just physically abused, but emotionally abused. So that brings me to my next point. We can even have relationships where there's no sexual abuse, there's no physical abuse, but there's a lot of emotional abuse. And just the emotional abuse alone, boy, that's a lot harder to to prove, right? How do you prove to somebody that you're being emotionally abused? Or how do you even recognize that you're being emotionally abused? A lot of times people will be in relationships and everybody else around them says, boy, that's not a healthy relationship, they shouldn't be in that relationship but they themselves don't recognize it and and we start to make excuses for our significant other and we say, no, they're just having a bad day. No, no, they're not really being manipulative. They're, they just need to feel better. And so this is, this is what they need. I'm going to take care of them. Um, you know, this happens all the time and we start seeing where sometimes a significant other will tell the other person that they're not that good or, or, or that they're not smart or where would you be without me? Or, you know, if you're not with me, then, then what, do you, what do you got left in life? We start, they start using words like you're a loser or they start cussing each other out. And this happens all the time. I mean, this is, I shouldn't say all the time, but I hear about this all the time because I'm in clinic obviously and I help treat some of these couples um, or some of these people individually in different situations. Um, and one thing to remember is that a lot of times it's not always obvious that this is happening for the person in the situation. And we had to look at why is that possible? Why is that the person who might be in an abusive relationship might not even recognize that? Why is it that they don't see it? We'll talk about that a little bit more when we come back.
1: This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support.
0: Welcome back to the clinic here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today we're talking about a heavy topic. We're talking about abuse, the different types of abuse, and the fact that Sometimes when we're in relationships that are abusive, we don't recognize it. I shared a story about a patient who was unfortunately being abused by her uncle. And this is when she was very, very young. And as a result, she didn't know how to be affectionate to her son. She didn't know she was in an abusive relationship because, and I say relationship, it's hard to say because she was so young. She wasn't really in a in a relationship per se but just by the very fact that this is her uncle um, there's a relationship there's a family relationship there you know this is her uncle she's her niece and all she knows is that he's supposed to be a good guy and and he's supposed to love her and she's supposed to love him but there was a violation of that relationship and she would never be aware of that being so young you know and as kids we always say that is the worst kind of abuse that can possibly happen because you're preying on the innocence of the child you know as we get to be adults Sometimes we can be in relationships and still not recognize that this is happening, uh, not because we're so much more innocent or anything along those lines still, but more because we can be in the relationship and we want to be nurtured and we truly believe that it's a loving relationship. And it might start off that way. And sometimes it develops into a more of an abusive relationship where one person is no longer looking to nurture the other, but really satisfy their own needs at the expense of the other person. And that's really what it comes down to. Um, And those are the relationships where it gets really hard, where sometimes people say, you know, out of relationships that we have, sometimes the ones that we beat ourselves up the most over, or that I see patients really struggle with, are the ones where they say, how could I have ever been there once they've gotten out or once they've recognized it? How could I have been in that relationship for so long? What's wrong with me? And this is why, unfortunately, when somebody's been in in that type of situation, they start to believe that, they did something wrong that they were responsible for it and that they're at fault and there's a lot of guilt that comes with that there's a lot of shame that comes with that because it's kind of like saying boy I really messed up and I don't know how to how to make it better Um, but one of the things that we want to look at is well why could that happen why is it that somebody could stay in a relationship like that and maybe not recognize it and you know why do we feel guilty later one of the things to consider is what is it that the abuser does in a relationship? How do they work in order to get a person to be victimized? And I like to look at three things. I think that there's really three things that an abuser is gonna do um, as they start to victimize the person. So the very first thing, the way that abusers will work, and I took some notes down here just so we can keep these in order. So one of the things is, well, first of all, let's back up a little bit. Let's let's recap one thing that's very important. What's the point of the abuse? What's happening there? Really, the goal is that the abuser, whether they recognize it or not, is trying to satisfy their own needs at the expense of the other. Let's start there. So how do we do that? What's going on? Well, what we have to consider is that it's a con job. It's a con artist at this point, or that kind of mentality anyway, that's happening. Because what I'm saying is, I have to get what I want, even if I have to dupe somebody else in any way that that is possible. So the first thing is that an abuser is going to look for a weakness or they're going to look for a vulnerability. You know, and they might make the vulnerability it might be there just by the very nature of things. So if my patient was a little girl, little children are innocent. They're not going to know much better. We can look at that as a strength, or we can look at it as a vulnerability that we can abuse or that or that can be preyed on. And that's the way that the abuser is going to think. He's going to say, You know there's there's a weakness here there's something that I can that I see there that I can actually use to my advantage you know for little kids it's easy because they're innocent so that makes it such a strong violation as we get older we have to look at different things it's where are vulnerabilities now well it really depends for this patient now that she's older and she's and she's matured her vulnerability is the fact that she carries this wound of the abuse from when she was young and innocent and so now she has a vulnerability uh, herself where she might feel like she wasn't loved or something along those lines. She could be at risk of getting into a, an abusive relationship. Luckily, she had a very supportive and very uh, nice husband, and that, and that was really good. But she could have easily been at risk with that kind of a wound to fall into a relationship where, you know, somebody, somebody else might have abused her as well. And this is why we said there's that perpetual cycle of abuse. Why is it that people who were abused once or... Or uh, who have experienced that fall into other relationships with the same abuse, because there's a wound there, there's a vulnerability that um, that we're uh, uh, carrying that can become a source for somebody who's looking to abuse somebody, cognizant of it or not, um, to take advantage of. So the first thing is that they're going to look for a vulnerability or weakness. We see this in different cases. So like, let's say that you're in high school and you feel like you're kind of an outcast. You're you don't have many friends. You're you're off to the side. And they say, well, you know, somebody who wants to uh, um, get into get people to sell drugs for them or get people to do illicit things for them um, or get them to join a bad uh, uh, organization, well, they're going to look for that. They're going to say, well, who out there, who's lonely, who needs something? Who feels like they're walking around with a wound with an emptiness that I can fill? Um, <clears throat> they're going to look at that and they're going to say, Well, this is my goal. My goal is to sell drugs or my goal is to, um, you know, carry on these illegal proceedings, you know, steal things and and sell them or or what have you. And they're going to look for somebody who's willing to do that. Not necessarily because that person wants to do something bad, uh, but because that person has a wound in them where they're looking for affection. They're just looking to fill that. Maybe they don't feel whole. Maybe they feel less than. And so all of a sudden they don't have friends and they're looking and they find somebody who's willing to be their friend and fill that gap. That can be very, very uh, tempting, not because a person's bad and wants to start doing bad things, but because they're saying, what else do I have in life? There's, I, I don't know what else is going on. We see this as well and we can say, well, where is there a weakness or a vulnerability? We can say something like, well, geez, you've been basting in the desert for 40 days and you're probably pretty hungry right now. I bet those stones could be a very tasty piece of bread if you want to finish that. You know, if you want to eat, if you want to satisfy yourself. So we're in these moments where we are vulnerable to wanting our own self-satisfaction, not necessarily because it's bad, it's good to eat, it's good to have friends, but it's coming from a place that's either wounded or a place where we're trying to strengthen ourselves in that moment um, and all of a sudden we, we can be a little bit vulnerable. And use that example if we look at, say, Matthew's gospel or Luke's gospel, where Jesus is in the desert. Jesus, at that point, is fasting, and he's very hungry, and the devil comes to tempt him and says, Hey, there's a vulnerability here. There's a weakness. Turn these stones into bread. That can happen. I see that for patients who are in recovery, who are trying to recover from drugs or alcohol or something along those lines and they're really trying to get their life back in order and they're doing their own fasting, shall we say. They're going to AA meetings or NA meetings or different groups to help them get out of it. And just as they're doing this, just as they're sobering up, boy, they're still gonna have the temptation to get more. Why is it that I still want to use more drugs, doc? Why is it that I still want this? And why is it that I went back to the person who's willing to give me drugs? Because there's an abusive relationship there. And ironically, we can have an abusive relationship with substances like drugs. And I know that we're, today we're talking more about relationships with other people, but it kind of comes in the same vein where if we're hungry for something and we, and we find it, um, it's, it's great if it's healthy, but if we're hungry for something and it's not our time to eat of it, we can find ourselves like Christ did when he was in the desert. And boy, those rocks could probably look like a very tempting piece of bread um, while I'm going through that. So that's the first thing that an abuser does. They look for a weakness. They look for a moment of vulnerability to come in and to start to work their um, ideas and to try to see where this person's at where is their strength so that's the first thing the second thing is well if you come with me I'll give you what you want you're hungry I'll give you what you want right now you know you don't have friends you don't have anything I can provide for you I can I can nurture you is what they're going to have you believe right so if we're in a relationship and I never thought I'd be in a relationship. I didn't think people would like me. I was always told that you know you couldn't that you couldn't be in a in a healthy relationship. Is what some of my patients tell me, um, you know. And they're gonna meet the next person that comes around and says, no, I think you're I think you're really nice, you know. My patients will say, I don't feel like my parents ever loved me. I don't feel like um, they were they were there for me. I feel like they were always just telling me what to do. And so the first time I met somebody who actually told me that they liked me. Well, of course I wanted to be with them. I wanted to go out with them because I'd never, I'd never felt that. So the second thing that a person who's, who's looking to abuse is gonna do, one, they're gonna look at the vulnerabilities. And two, they're gonna say, okay, I'm gonna provide you what you need. I realize that you're in need of something and that's what I'm gonna do for you. You know, where are your friends? Look around, they're not around. I'm your friend. Look around, where's, where's your family? No, your family's just been talking down to you. I'm gonna take care of you. I'll be like your family kind of like when the devil told jesus well you know look at you're here in the desert why don't you throw yourself off the temple where's where's your god isn't he going to save you is not he going to send his angels down to save you um if you do something you know isn't he going to protect you and so these are very tempting things because sometimes when we are in those deserts when we are feeling vulnerable sometimes we are looking for affection or we're looking to feel um whole again and things come around and all of a sudden we think that, gosh, this is going to be a quick satisfaction. This is right. You know, my family's not there. I'm all alone. This person's saying that they're, that they're actually going to be there for me and they're here right now. And I feel that. I think I will go out with them. Ah, it's okay. You know, this is where we make the excuses. It's it's okay if he, he likes to drink a little bit too much or she likes to do drugs. Um, you know, that'll be okay. Once we get together, that'll be better. Um, I'm sure that's going to improve. I'm sure that they, you know they didn't mean it when they were being mean to me because they are my family. I had uh, what else do I have left, right? There's there's nothing else left, um, and so that comes to the third thing. So the first thing is the abuser is going to look for a weakness. The second thing is I'm going to try to provide you with what you think you need. I'm gonna, I'm going to try to fill that gap, and the third thing, this is where it gets very challenging, is if you leave me now, now that I've got you, I've provided this for you, we're in a relationship. And now all of a sudden, if you feel like you're going to leave me, wh- where's that going to leave you? You're nothing, right? This is where the emotional abuse, the mind games come in. Um, if, you don't, if you don't come with me, wh- where are you going to be? What, what's, going to be uh, what's going to be of you? You're not going to be anything. If you separate from me, um, that you're, you're going to be right back. Remember where you started? Remember where we met? You're going to be right back to where you were. You can have everything you've been looking for. You can keep everything you want if you just worship me, right? That's essentially what the abuser is saying. You gotta stick to me, I'm your new God. We're gonna look at how we can overcome this and how we can start to heal from the abuse and the wounds when we come back.
1: This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support.
0: Welcome back, listeners to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And as always, I like to remind you that if you uh, enjoy our programming, Um, One, please help and donate us uh, here at the show. Please donate uh, anything you can, always your prayers. Um, And if you have any ideas or or thoughts or topics, um, please send them in to us. Please, if you have any questions whatsoever, sometimes they're very helpful. I'd be more than happy to use some of your questions on the show and on air. And if you want us to mention your name uh, and where you're from, that'd be great, too. Uh, We can do that for you. Um, One of the things that we're talking about today is a very touchy subject. And as I mentioned before, it's such a deep, Subject that we can't really um, expound all the details of it because it's so varied and so many people uh, have experienced it. We're talking about abuse um, and in in different forms, um, whether it be physical, emotional, um, sexual abuse. There's so many different scenarios there where the fact that we are not being nurtured and in fact uh, are being taken advantage of can happen. Um, And we're talking about what results from that, how can we heal from that? Um, And and what do we do about it? So I was talking about the three ways that an an, an abusive situation happens or that uh, three methods that an abusive person uses um, to really manipulate people. And one of them, the first way is we look for, they look for uh, weakness or vulnerability. The second way is um, they try to fill that gap with empty uh, promises really. Um, And the third way is trying to convince the victim or the person that Uh, or the person being victimized, um, that they can't do anything without the abuser, that the abuser is uh, their source of happiness or their only source of of good self-esteem at this point or or sense of self-worth. And these are very challenging positions to be in um, because it happens all the time and people aren't exactly sure, one, how they got into that situation, or two, how to get out of it once they're in it. I used a little bit of a uh, reference to the Gospel of Matthew. I was using the Gospel of Matthew, but it's in different Gospels, of when Jesus was tempted in the desert and when he came upon the devil. And we look at the devil as nothing more than an abusive character, right? He doesn't want us to be nurtured in Christ. He doesn't want us to be uh, nurtured to get to heaven or to to be with God. And so how is he going to do that? Well, since we have our our nature's broken, we have a broken nature, we all have our own weaknesses and our own temptations that we deal with naturally, even without um, influence by the dark side, shall we say. Um, Those things are there for us, but that's what they're going to prey on, right? After the fall of Adam and Eve and and the fact that we um, we can succumb to sin, they're going to look at that and they're going to say, where is this person? Where is their weakness or their vulnerability? How can I get to them? and once they do that they say well let me show you though because you know you're feeling alone or you're feeling you know that you don't matter much but let me show you all these things that the world has to offer you know let's let's look at all these things that the world has to offer you can fill those voids with that and in fact once you start filling those voids with that you're going to feel really good and it might feel good at first you know it might you might look at things and we might start to feel like hey this is pretty good but then the relationship turns then it gets ugly then they start getting mean, then they start lying to us and telling us that we're not worth much or that God will never love us or forgive us or that, you know, all the sins of our past are still there and and that they're never going to go away. And that if we do depart from them and that if we only turn to God, where is that going to leave us? Because boy, we were broken uh, when they first met us. We were so weak when they first met us. And that's the abuse of nature. That's, you notice a pattern there uh, of any relationship. There's a weakness, there's a vulnerability, it's filled with lies. And then the ultimate lie is that if we leave the abusive situation, we're left with nothing. How do we overcome that? Well, <clears throat> since it is an abusive situation and it goes against the natural order of things where God wants us to be nurtured, I always say we have to work backwards. So we have to work at the final, the final step that the abuser does is the first step where we have to work at. So if we look at the Gospels, we look at, well, what did Christ do to get away from this abusive situation? You know, the first thing he did was, um, after the last temptation, where Satan tells him to worship him, he says, Be gone, Satan. Worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That's where we have to start. If we're going to get out of an abusive situation, we have to get away from the abuse. We have to get away from the abuser. Be gone, Satan. Whatever the abuse is, we just have to separate ourselves from that situation completely and realize that we can only worship God that's where the healing is going to start and i say start because sometimes it's a long road you know it's it's and it can be very challenging to even take that first step let's take our my patient who I, who i was talking about for example how does a, a young child step away from a situation like that how do they know how to where where they're supposed to go or if they can talk to another adult because they're scared they don't know what to do. Sometimes uh, if a young child is in these situations, sometimes the abuser is going to threaten them. And you notice it's threatening them with lies. The first thing that the abuser does is don't say anything. They want to keep everything secret, right? So they don't say anything. Don't tell an adult. If it's an adult, say we see this all the time in kidnappings or things like that. Don't scream or I'll kill you. Well, why do they want to keep everything quiet? Because they want to work in the occult. They know that as soon as somebody says something, as soon as there's a doubt that's out there that's cast as soon as the truth is told all of a sudden we're headed down that route of the abuse being broken of separating the person from the abuser and boy that's that's scary for the abuser because they don't know what to do now they're going to get caught now everything that they're doing is coming to light and has to be challenged so the first way that somebody can get a, that somebody can start to heal from an abusive situation it seems obvious it seems simple but it's not It's not always that obvious or simple, especially to the person in the situation because they're hearing a whole lot of lies or they're uh, believing something that's not there. Um, And so the first thing we have to do is get to the point where we can say, be gone Satan, step away from the situation. I'm only going to worship God. It's a complete shift. We have to shift the life. We have to shift our our way of thinking, which means that not only does it mean that the abusive situation is going to be gone, but I have to start down the path where I say, be gone with everything. Be gone saying it, be gone with your lies. I reject your lies. I reject everything that you're telling me. I reject the abuse that you're doing towards me. I reject the fact that you're even here. And so that's the first step that can be very, very hard in a relationship to say, no, I'm no longer gonna let you abuse me. I'm gonna stand up for myself because what's the abuser gonna do? So now we gotta look at the next step, right? All of a sudden, we're gonna work backwards the last step was, worship me. No, I'm no longer going to worship you. I'm no longer going to be under, under your dominion. The next step is going to be, <clears throat> if you throw yourself from this from, from here, God's going to protect you. Where's your family? Where are your friends? Where are they? If you leave here, they're, they're not going to be there. Well, how do we know? Sometimes when the person's been in an abusive situation, they've been made to leave their families. The abuser loves to isolate the person and say, no, don't talk to your friends. Don't talk to your family. Well, what's going to happen? So first I already said no. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm going to be, I'm going to be gone. And now I'm going to go tell somebody. Now I'm going to go and talk to my family, talk to my friends. Yes, all these things that I was accepting from you, um I was trying to fill the void. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, you shall not tempt your God. Which what does that mean in the situation? You shall not tempt your God. It means that I'm going to go back to my family and instead of trying to fill my voids with whatever you were offering, I'm gonna to start to be patient and let God work. I'm gonna let God fill the voids. I have to have faith that God is actually gonna fill the voids that I feel. That all these things that I'm feeling where I might be empty, where I might be wounded, instead of looking for the quick fix which society offers, I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna wait and be patient and let God fill the void. That might mean I'm just gonna stop and pray I'm gonna stop and be silent. I'm gonna go back to the sacraments. I'm gonna let God do his own work. I'm not gonna try to do it on my own with whatever is around me, whatever is quick, whatever is easy, because that's what's gonna lead me down the path of being abused again. I'm not. I'm gonna be subjected to that which was quick and easy. I'm gonna start worshiping that which was quick and easy. So I gotta work my way backwards. And first I'm gonna say, be gone Satan. I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm not gonna be near the abusive part. But now what's the problem? Now I'm gonna have that void. And that void I'm gonna go fill with Christ, with God, on God's time. I'm not gonna tempt God. I'm not gonna try to jump off the building and say, okay God, try to save me now. No matter what I do, you're gonna be there to save me. I'm gonna say, nope, I'm gonna stop and I'm just gonna do what's right. Even if it doesn't seem logical, even if it doesn't feel good at the time, but I'm gonna have faith that God is actually gonna take care of me and these voids are gonna be filled. That can be really, really hard to do because we start to get accustomed to a certain way of life. People actually can get used to an abusive situation. Not that they like it, but as human beings, we can get used to any situation we get placed in. And so sometimes just out of pure uh, habit, people will stay in a relationship and they say, well, this is what I know. I don't know any different. But this is a chance to really give yourself the opportunity to know different. By going back to your family or bringing this to light, what it really means is, I'm gonna take a look at the situation. I'm gonna separate myself from the situation and I'm gonna go talk to somebody I trust about what it is that I'm separating myself from. So I could go talk to my family about it if I trust them and I hope that they're gonna support me. I can go talk to a doctor or a therapist about this if I trust them or if if I believe they're gonna support me. Or I can look and see where are their support groups. There are different places to look. There are homes and shelters for, they always usually say for bad or women, Or you can even start looking at places that help people who are drug addicted or people are homeless shelters. They usually have a lot of resources for anybody who feels down and out, who feels like they want to start getting their life back in order, but they're not sure how. And it's important to really talk to people and say, this is what I'm trying to get away from. This is the devil that I'm trying to leave. And I'm trying to fill these voids in my life with something different. And so why is that? Why do we go to that? we have to look at the final step. If I was abused by my uncle, if I was abused by a parent, and all these wounds are there and that I'm carrying with them, first I'm saying I'm gonna get away from the abuse in any way I can. Secondly, I'm gonna go talk to somebody or look for some help to feel these wounds, and why? What's the purpose of feeling filling these wounds with something healthy or something godlike? Because it leads us to the third and final step. If the first step that the abuser was gonna use was a vulnerability, or that which I saw as a weakness, now I have to go back and look at what St. Paul used to say. I'm going to make my weaknesses my strengths. So I have to recognize that I have weaknesses. I have to look at that and say, wow, this is where I was taken advantage of. The weakness is not, shall we say, something bad. It's something that's there. It can be used for something bad, as we see in an abusive situation. But more than anything else, we have to go back to what Christ said, and we have to look at how did he... uh, what, what was it that he challenged Satan on with the very first temptation? And Christ said, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. At the end of the day, God is what's going to help me realize that my weaknesses are no longer going to be, be weaknesses. They're going to be strengths. Is it any surprise that we don't live by the word, by, by bread alone? Yet Christ in the Eucharist becomes the word and the accident of bread. We receive Christ in the form of bread, why is that? Because he is the word and the bread together. That's what's ultimately gonna fill us spiritually to heal all of our wounds. I say, get back to the Eucharist as much as possible because Christ is the ultimate person we need to speak to, to fill our wounds, to help us heal from the abuse. I know that this is a very broad topic. I hope that you find somebody to talk to and if you've experienced anything like this, and please keep us in our prayers and we keep you in, in, in your prayers. You're not alone. You can always get help. Until next time, we'll see you back at the clinic.
2: St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests. O oh my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole church grant it love and the light of thy spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O oh Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou, Thyself, maintain them in holiness. O Divine and Great High Priest, may the power of Thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of Thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For Thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us.
0: Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.